This morning I'm going to bring a message from the uh, Fifth Commandment. I've changed the sermon as of just a few days ago. We print the bulletin on Wednesdays and on Thursday. I had a change of mind. So this will be from uh, Exodus chapter 20 and then Ephesians 6. If you'd like to listen to the one verse, I'll read from Exodus 20. And then if you'd like to turn to Ephesians 6, then I'll read four verses there. This is the, uh, from the Ten Commandments, the Fifth Commandment, and then ex- uh, Ephesians 6 is the e- expansion of that in, in the New Testament. Uh, hear God's word from Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And then Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4 says this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So ends the reading of God's holy word. The fifth commandment tells us that the bond between mother and father and child is very, very, very important to God. You know the Ten Commandments. If you come on Wednesday noon, the Wednesday noon luncheon we have here, we're presently studying the Ten Commandments. And the first four commandments deal with what's referred to as our vertical relationship with God. Uh, Those are the ones that apply between us and God, how we worship have no other gods before us, not to misuse his name, Honor the Sabbath, remember the Sabbath day. Then the second table of the law, which is commandments 5 through 10, they deal with our relationships with one another. And they're summarized in the New Testament with love God and love your neighbor. And so the tables of the law follow priorities. The first one is to love the Lord our God. If you don't love the Lord your God, you will never work out all the other commandments. If you've not paid attention, you might say, to the first four, you'll have no inclination to obey the other six. So first things first. You'll never do what the last six require if you you do not do what the first four require. Everything begins with a relationship with God. And this is critical even to understand this commandment. I heard of a young man in Chicago His family had moved every year due to his father's job. And so he just decided to quit trying to build friendships since every year he knew that his family would move. I've known a family like that here in our church. Uh, And he describes the day finally when he was old enough that his parents had to move, but he decided to remain behind. And they drove away from Chicago. He, though, had a job. He had a house to stay in with friends. He had his own car. And he waved goodbye to his parents. And he said he began to feel this wave of loneliness. And he realized there was an emptiness in his heart. And he said, I yearned to have a relationship with someone with whom I would never have to say goodbye. I yearned to have a relationship with someone with whom I would never have to say goodbye. Parents, you can have the tightest bond with your children, but it will not fill the void in your heart that can only be filled with a relationship with the Creator. Parents, you can have the tightest bond possible with your children, 
regardless of what age they are, but it will not fill the void in your heart that can only be filled with a relationship with Jesus Christ. That begins when you and I recognize our problems with God that cause sin, that that sin deserves punishment. God must punish it, and the punishment is death. And somebody has to pay that price. So either we trust that Christ paid that in his perfect life and in his death on the cross, or that I have to pay that. But I have faith in Jesus as a substitute that he did so. Well, here are just some general observations. This is very much a... Uh, a flyover of, of this commandment. We're not going to look at all the other parallel passages and much of what the, the scriptures say about this. So this is, just view this as a, a brief introduction. Here's some observations. First, there are no perfect parents, just as there are no perfect children, for if there were, we would not need this commandment. Is that stating the obvious? So to you that are children, to you that are younger... All parents have weaknesses and faults and inconsistencies. Only God is the perfect parent. Even the best parents make mistakes and they sin. We all sin. And as a result of our fallen natures, we all have problems. And this one, what I want to say now, is a little more difficult, but this is tricky. And I know from talking to a number of people, there are some parents who are not worthy of honor. They were abusive. They abandoned the family. They were manipulative. They were neglectful. And you come to this commandment and you say, what am I supposed to do? What is God telling me to do? Am I supposed to ignore what this person has done and continues to do? Am I just supposed to put on a happy face and pretend everything is great? No, no. But God is saying, I want you to honor that position of parenthood. What about step-parents? Young children, and I know many have left, but they are in a very complicated spot. And there are no two situations that are exactly the same. But if step-parents enter the picture while you're still young, then seek to honor and obey that person best you can. So words to parents, there's never been a perfect parent. And you cannot guarantee how your children will turn out. God gave your children wills of their own. And we cannot ultimately determine the outcome of their hearts. We can raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord as we're admonished to do. But we cannot ultimately determine whether that child, or even as they become adults, will love Christ or not. There's a choice involved. And we can have desires for them, but we can't really accomplish goals for them because to set a goal is to determine an outcome. Uh, but I'll tell you this, your children, Christian parents, they're not wanting to see perfection from you. They're not wanting to see if you're perfect. They're wanting to see if your faith is real. That's it. They're wanting to see is your faith genuine. And I think that sometimes Christian parents think they must model perfection. Well, you can't model perfection, okay? Just, <laughs> that's impossible since none of us can achieve it in this life. But you can model what it's like to have a real faith. They can hear you confess your sins. They can hear you apologize to your spouse. They can hear you apologize to other people. They can hear you pray for things that, you, uh, that, that are beyond your power to do something about, and they can hear that. They, they know if your faith is genuine or not. That's, 
That's what they want to see. Second observation about the commandment in general is that all respect for all authority begins in the home. I know it sounds like a cliche, but it's true. Respect for all authority begins in the home. But God never intended it to end in the home. It's a starting place. There are other legitimate authorities which flow out of this commandment. We see this as we follow the commandment through Scripture, employers, and students respect the authority of your teachers, wives to respect the authority of their parents, as we, of their husbands, as we see in Ephesians, government, the law, sports, umpires. <laughs> Parents, what are you teaching your kids in that arena? I want to be salt and light. There's a good opportunity to do so. Coach K, Mike Krzyzewski, for 33 years has been the coach of the Duke Blue Devils. Hall of Fame coach, 12 times National Coach of the Year. He's built a basketball dynasty. Few programs in history can even come close to matching. And like any college athletic program, recruiting is the key. And he says that recruiting key young players has been pivotal on that. Coach K says when they visit, when they send out recruiters to visit prospective players, they intentionally visit them in the home. They don't want to meet them at a restaurant. They meet them in their home. Why? They want to see how the prospective player relates to the family. And he says they know how he relates to the authority at home is going to be how he relates to the authority at the school. Young women, if there comes a day you're going to, you're thinking maybe marrying a young man, if you think how he treats his mother is not relevant to how he's going to treat you, think again. And if he is disrespectful and insulting to his mother, don't think he's not going to be the same toward you or there's a strong possibility he will. But the point is, authority flows out of the home. Third observation, how I relate to my parents. Let me back up. Young man, if you're going to marry a young woman, you better pay attention how, treats, how she treats her father. It's just, it's, that's not rocket science. But how, that will reflect very much how, how she is going to, to view you. Observation number three, how I relate to my parents will affect every other relationship. Your style of relating is set at home. And even today, as adults, when you act in ways that you think you don't understand and you cannot figure yourself out, many times it's because you're still reacting to parents. As I just mentioned, many marriages have been greatly affected by a spouse that has not resolved a relationship with a parent, and they take it out on the, on the spouse or on the, on the husband or the wife or the, or the kids. And then they say, you're just like my mother. Or you're just like my father. Uh, surveys have shown, for what that is worth, people who get along with their parents have far less stress in their lives. The role of the parents. Parents, do you ever wonder what you're supposed to do as a parent when it says that to receive honor? What role do you play? What does it mean to be a parent worthy of honor? Isn't it incumbent upon us to be parents worthy of honor if, if honor is due by the very fact that you're in a position of being a father or mother? There is honor in the position, and then there's honor in the person. We understand the honor in the position. But is that just how you want to be honored? Hopefully not. 
not just because of the position you hold, but because of the person you are. What is involved in being a parent worthy of honor? Now, I appeal here to a Puritan, Thomas Watson, who in the 1600s wrote an excellent summary of the Ten Commandments called the Ten Commandments. That's the name of the book. And like most of the Puritans, their forte was application, was practical application of God's Word. So here I paraphrased a number of observations that he wrote answering what is involved in being a parent worthy of honor. And here is what Thomas Watson said. Be careful to bring them up in the fear and nurture of the Lord. Augustine said of his mother Monica that she agonized more for his spiritual birth than for his natural birth. If you know the story of Augustine, I mean, he, Hugh Hefner would have blushed at Augustine's life before he was converted. And he had a godly mother who prayed for him. And that's why Augustine said that she travailed more for his spiritual birth than for his natural birth. So Watson, Thomas Watson says, therefore instruct your children with the scriptures and teach them about God. Number two, if you would have your children honor you, keep up parental authority. Be kind, but do not spoil them. Discipline must not be withheld. Three, provide for them what is fitting, both when they are young and as they get older. Number four, as they grow, help them to know their calling in life so that they may serve their generation. It is good to consult the natural talents and genius and the inclination of a child. And I love what he said here. For, because forced callings are as harmful as forced marriages. Well, he put it forced matches, but that's what he meant. To let a child be out of a calling is to expose him to temptation. So he was saying, parents, be students of your children. Where are their natural gifts and abilities? That's a hard thing sometimes when a parent has expectations that I want my child to be this or do this, and that's not really where God has, he's not wired this particular child that way. And so he's, he's saying to be very astute to their natural talents and inclinations. Fifth, act lovingly to your children. In all your counsels and commands, let them see love. Love will command honor. Six, act prudently toward your children. Do not provoke them to wrath, lest they be discouraged. Seven, pray much for them. I guess that's stating the obvious, but it's easy to overlook. Pray much for them. Eight. And this is, again, this is a list on what does it mean to be a parent worthy of honor. Encourage that which you see good and commendable in your children. Commending that which is good in your children makes them more in line with virtuous actions. It's like watering the plant and helping it to grow. Some parents discourage the good they see in their children. And so nip virtue in the bud by doing so. Nine, if you would have honor from your children, set a good example. It makes children despise parents when the parents live contradictory lives to their own precepts. When they tell their children to be sober and yet they themselves get drunk. 
or they bid their children to fear God while they themselves do not. If you would have children honor you, teach them by a holy example. Here's a few other things that have been said by other authors. We need to, if you're to be a parent worthy of honor, you need to limit your children. And it takes a firm strength to limit your children. We all need limits. Rules without relationships just bring rebellion. I was reading last night 1 Samuel chapter 2 and 1 Samuel chapter 3. Uh, that's about Eli. Eli had been a priest. Two of his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they were priests, but they were bad news. Sons of the priests who were priests themselves, they were committing immorality with women who were serving at the tent of meeting. That was the tabernacle, you know, which was the, the mobile tent that was used before the temple was built. And, and Eli lightly rebuked them, but he, he failed in that regard. And here is a scary verse from 1 Samuel chapter 3. This is God's prophecy through his, his servant Samuel. I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever talking of Eli, for the iniquity which he knew because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. So the sons are very guilty, but the father was guilty too in this case because he did not rebuke his sons for what they were doing and it was well known what they were doing. So we have to put limits. If you do not put limits on your child, it expresses rejection. Proverbs says, he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. That you, if you withhold discipline, you are showing that I don't love you. I hate you. Therefore, I don't care what happens to you. Play in the street? Yeah, sure. Why not? You know, do this. uh, Lead them. So not only uh, limit them, but lead them. We're to teach them. That was the primary role of parents in the past. What do you want your kids to be? What is the emphasis today? Speak to me. In our culture, what is the emphasis for kids to be today or to do? Well, there's too many, but it's appearance. It's grades. It's athletic ability. It's popularity. No emphasis on character, right? I mean, you, you could probably argue the specifics. How about these words as far as not being emphasized? Contentment, courage, courtesy, discernment, friendliness, generosity, gentleness, helpfulness, honesty, humility, kindness, obedience, patience, persistence, self-control, thankfulness, wisdom, Who is teaching these things? Mom and dad? Single parents? It needs to be you. And as a pastor and a former school board member, you cannot delegate that to the school or the church. Those should be extensions. When you understand those fears from Scripture, you want them, the school and the church, to reinforce what you are teaching them at home, not saying, well, I'm going to send them there and I'll assume that they will teach them all of that. They'll try, but the main influence will come from you. It's always, am I stating the obvious? I am. Therefore, learn to compliment character. Say things like, that took a lot of courage. 
that was, I'm impressed. You showed mercy in that situation, and that, that was not easy. I know it wasn't. Thank you for being so patient today. I know it was difficult. Thanks for not quitting, even though you were discouraged. And I like this one. That was an absolutely terrible call by the referee, but you showed great self-control. <laughs> Laugh with them. May the Lord give us homes filled with joy. Humans are the only part of God's creation that can do three things. Laugh, weep, and blush. I didn't grow up in a home where there was much laughter. Uh, and so that's, we've tried to create that. I don't mean laughing at someone else's expense, but just, just finding things that are humorous that happen even around the meal table and just enjoying it and laughing. Uh, the meal table for me growing up was usually a place of discipline. <laughs> I got hit in the right shoulder by my daddy so many times because he would sit right there and I'd sit here and I'd do something wrong or did. <laughs> and so I, I, I didn't look forward to the, to the meal time from that standpoint. How may a parent provoke his child to wrath? If we're warned not to do this in Ephesians chapter 6, particularly fathers, back to Thomas Watson. Here's what he says, going back to the Puritans. By cursing your children rather than blessing them, that will provoke a child to wrath. When the correction it see exceeds the fault. When the correction it exceeds, exceeds the fault. Third, when parents deny their children what they need. Fourth, when, a, when, a, when parents show partiality toward their children, showing more kindness to one than to another. It always has been and it always will be. Partiality is poison in a family, raising kids. It is. And, and especially as children get older and even adult children, here's one who cares nothing for God or the ways of God. And here's this godly son or daughter. And here's a Christian parent. And this child reflects their values much more. You have to be very careful in that situation not to show partiality. Ron Blue wrote an excellent book called Splitting Heirs, H-E-I-R-S, about when parents are settling estates and so forth and setting up wills about, and he has a, a lot in there warning about partiality with that, that you can build bitterness that will last for another generation and another long after you're gone. Thomas Watson didn't say that part. That was, that was Chip Miller at that point. Okay, fifth, about provoking children to wrath. When a, child, when a parent does anything which is sordid and unworthy and brings disgrace upon himself and his family, it provokes the child to wrath. What's the role of children in honoring your parents? Back to the command. The word honor means to attribute or to give weight to a person. The commandments means, the commandment from the Ten Commandments means we should look upon those whom God has placed over us and treat them with honor and gratefulness and obedience. To regard them heavily, to give weight to their, to their opinions, that's what it means to honor, as used there in the Ten Commandments. And this is the first command with a promise. The promise is for a long life, a full life. It does not mean every individual in all of history who obeys this will live to an old age. 
but it's giving a general principle in life. The commandment is addressed to children, not to parents. The reason it's addressed to children is because there are no perfect parents just as there are no perfect children. God is saying in the commandment, honor your father and mother. I want you to give weight. I want you to give authority and influence to those parents. I want you to allow those parents to have influence over your life even if they are not perfect. So one way, especially when children are younger, to express honor is obedience. If you don't have a daily devotional, men, then these two volumes by John Piper, A Godward Life, this is the first volume, I would suggest might be somewhere you'd like to start. They're like three, four-page chapters that were articles he wrote for their church newsletter there in Minneapolis some years ago. But they're particularly written for men. And one of these is called Teenage Resolutions in Honor of Mom and Dad. I'm going to read you just a few. These were what he offered to teenagers as personal resolutions, kind of ideals to strive for, resolved. When I do something wrong and let you down, I will apologize sincerely with words that you can hear. Something like, Mom, I'm sorry I didn't pick up the pile of clothes. Six, resolve. I will call you by affectionate family titles like Mom or Dad or Daddy. I won't let other kids pressure me into calling you nothing or calling you something disrespectful as though true affection is embarrassing or childish. Seven, Resolve. I will say thank you again and again for the ordinary things you do for me. I will not take them for granted as though you were my slave. Eight, I will talk about my feelings, both the positive ones and the negative ones. I will remember that unshared feelings lead to estrangement, coldness, and even more loneliness and discouragement. Resolution number nine, I will laugh with the family and not at the family. I will especially laugh when my younger brother or sister tells a simple joke with expectant excitement. Resolved, I will give two compliments for every criticism, and every criticism will aim to help someone improve, not just belittle or cut them down. Resolved, I will enter into family devotions and treat Bible reading and prayer with respect and do my part to help others in the family enjoy them. When I don't feel spiritually strong, I will pray about this as a personal need rather than pouring it on others as a glass of cold water. I will remember that confessed weakness knits hearts together. Resolved, I will greet our guests with courtesy and respect and try to make them glad they came. Last one, resolved, number 17, I will pray for you as long as I live that we will be united in faith and love not only now in this world but for all of eternity in the kingdom of God. Now, probably most of us did not grow up in a home where the Bible was read, where there was family devotion. We may not... Maybe even most of us grew up in homes that weren't Christian at all. And now you're married as Christians and you're trying to have a Christian home. And do not blame your background. You can change beginning today right here with you uh, in your family, in your marriage. Uh, there's, there's no reason to wait and put it off or think that, well, something's wrong with me or I'm just 
you know, hampered in that regard. Uh, back to the, back to, uh, where am I? The role of children, honoring your parents. Honor them with gratitude. The older you get, the more you see the faults of your parents. Their hang-ups, their faults, and therefore, as you get older, it becomes all the more important for you to obey this. Acceptance does not mean pretending they are perfect or ignoring mistakes, but it realizes God did use them to bring you into this world, and in most cases, no one will ever make the investment in your life that was made by them. Time, money, emotions, taxi service, education, health, medicine. There was a poll taken some years ago, an indisputable poll, I believe I wrote it down from USA Today, it was taken among parents in America, and it asked them what they would like most from their children. Number one, number one across America was respect from their children. Just respect. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees because they used the law of God to avoid taking care of their elderly parents. Take care of your parents when they are elderly. You say, ah, that will be a tremendous drain. That's exactly what society told them when they gave birth to you long ago. Taking care of an elderly parent is not sweet. It can be frustrating. Barbara and I are in the midst of it right now. There's nothing glamorous about it. You have to determine, all things considered, the other children involved, the whole situation, what's the best place where the best care can be given for them. There's no final, ultimate answer that fits everyone. But all I'm saying is do the best you can while you can. Love them until God takes them home. For adults, perhaps with a broken relationship with a parent, bridge that gap. You cannot make your parents love you or you can't make them be responsible. That's not the goal. The goal is to honor them. Honor them by what you are. Hey, do you think the mother of that guy that shot all those people in that movie theater in Aurora, Colorado last summer, do you think she'd be happy today to get a Mother's Day card? Think Charles Manson's dad used to cheer up on Father's Day if he got a card from his son from prison? <clears throat> if I never hear from my kids in my older days, but I know that they love the Lord God with their whole heart, I'll die with a smile on my face. Kids want to give your mother or dad the best present they ever had? Don't worry about the fifth commandment. Obey the first one. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest gift a parent could have is to say, I raised a child who advanced the kingdom of God. It doesn't necessarily mean they were in vocational ministries, missionaries, or pastors, or whatever, but wherever God puts them, that they were sold out for the kingdom of God. That's the greatest gift I believe you can give your parents. I'll close with this. James Dobson, in one of his books, wrote this paragraph. My purpose, my one purpose in life is to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am to serve him to the best of my ability, and I am to take as many people to heaven as I possibly can. And my first responsibility is to do everything in my power to include my own kids in that number. Good aspiration... But no parent can ensure that. So young person, child, teenager, young adult, 
whose parents are still living, you owe it to yourself to trust Christ and to follow him as your Savior and your Master. You must decide whether to follow Christ or not. You may be rejecting Christ as rebellion against your parents. That is a foolish decision, a very foolish decision, because each one of us will answer to God on his own. So child, teenager, adult, even those of us whose parents are gone now, who are deceased, are you honoring your father? Are you honoring your mother? Know what this commandment shows us? Does it build us up with confidence? Do everybody feel great now that you've kept this always? No. It reveals we've all sinned, doesn't it? We could stop with this commandment. And any of us, even from the best of situations, would look at this and say, I am condemned. I am condemned. Yes, there was honor at times, but there was great dishonor at times. There was deceit at times. There was disrespect at times. If I could go back and grab those words that, that came out of my mouth at certain times when I was in my house as a teenager, and the fuse was short and it would just go off, I can't. And so I stand condemned under this commandment just like each of us is. But you know what? That's the purpose of it. The purpose is to show you and me we need a Savior. Oh, it's a God for life, but it reveals we've got a sickness. The sickness is death. You know Christ this morning, have you received him? You asked God to give you the forgiveness which Jesus bought when he died on the cross in John chapter 1, verse 12, he says, As many as received him, speaking of Jesus, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. And God is the perfect Father. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your law. It exposes our hearts as they are. It, it's, it shows us that, that we, need, we need help. We need a remedy, and we need Christ. Uh, Lord, we pray for our families and ask your blessing on them. Whatever the structure might be, single parents, uh, broken families, divorce, remarriage, step-parents, elderly parents, two or three generations, grandparents, we, we ask that we would seek to follow you and your Holy Spirit would bring blessing on our families that they might be reflections of, of church, of Christ and the church. In Jesus' name, amen.